Welcome to Attached, a platform for adding breadth and depth to everyday living. I'm Yaakov Danishevsky, and this is the conversation series focused on my book. In each episode, I invite a special guest to discuss the topic of a particular chapter and how it relates to our lives. Welcome to another Conversations episode. I'm really excited to be sitting and talking with my friend Rav Yaakov Klein, someone who is already very, very well known as a tremendous mashpia and influence and source of inspiration for so many people. We met a few years ago in Chicago and have stayed close, uh, close ever since. Thank God. And uh, we're going to be discussing chapter five of the book today. This is the second conversation on chapter five. And the brief summary of chapter five is that we talk about spiritual humanism, as I called it, which is the idea that we are all searching for a connection to something greater than this world, something beyond this world. And somehow, par paradoxically, we have to find that connection to that which is greater than this world, specifically through this world. And that Hashem reveals himself to us through the, he reveals his infinity through the finitude of this world. And he reveals his otherworldliness through this worldliness. And how we come into contact with that spiritual yearning that we all have is specifically through the details and the particulars and the the ins and outs and the regularity of our lives, which is not an easy thing to uh, to, to face and to navigate through. And Rav Yaakov is somebody that I that I think of as who is who is walking that tightrope and trying to navigate that. None of us do it perfectly, but he's uh, certainly leading the way. So Rav Yaakov, would love to hear your thoughts uh, on the chapter. Thank you so much for making the time to do this with me. Sure, it's the greatest privilege in the world. Thank you for having me. Um, that that word "trying" is a is a key word, the key word. Um, you know, trying to walk this tightrope, um, trying to walk every tightrope. Life is a tightrope. One of the tzaddikim, the early Hasidic masters, said that living in this world is like walking on the edge of a of a of a knife, on the the edge of the blade with hell on one side and hell on the other side. So uh, so we're always walking a tightrope. And um, and the key is to learn how to dance, because you you can't walk it and survive. You can only dance it, um, and dancing means dancing with it. Dancing means just recognizing that um, we have what it takes inside of us to be tightrope walkers. But it it definitely is a tightrope, and all of us are only ever trying, um, which is part of the laughter of it. So I, I'm definitely uh, definitely trying, and um, and and feel very grateful to be able to sit down with you and have a conversation about. I would say a crucially important topic. Um, it's crucially important because it addresses two major aspects of Jewish life. Maybe even the unique factor in Torah-oriented living, um, which is this unique synthesis between uh, spirituality and and practicality, um, which is where Judaism has always shown, you know, and and shined this incredible light of um, of uniqueness that says that it doesn't have to be either or. It, it can it can actually be both, and in some very deep sense, it's not even both. It just is, um, and that's and that's a that's a tremendous tremendous foundation of our faith. And what really singles us out and makes us unique among the nations of the world is that we are completely other and we are, are completely present. Um, at the very same time, or at least ideally, that's what we strive for. Um, and so uh, I feel totally privileged to be to be here. Everything I'm saying is just 
and uh, and I'm sure you feel the same way. And I, you know, well, actually, I'm sure you feel a little bit less like this than I do because I look up to you as a person that uh, that has more of this synthesis. But I think that it would be foolish for any one of us or any body really to talk about this um, with a sense of authority and the sense of like, you know, we we figure this out. You know, I mean, I can speak for myself. Like I haven't. Like, you know, I, this is the daily struggle. This is the dance. This is the tension. This is the tightrope of of really trying to live life as life was intended to be lived. Um, but really before saying anything, I just have to say that this book that you've written, which I, which I have right here, um, is, uh, is really in some sense miraculous in nature. And the reason that I say that is because really in order to do what you've done in the sense of taking some of the most crucial, fundamental, groundbreaking, um, transformative perspectives from the gamut of our tradition throughout history that we absolutely need now today. And to put them into a book could maybe theoretically be accomplished if you write in a thousand page book, you know, because so much needs to be said and so much needs to be explicated and introduced. Um, but the Chiddush, the total novelty here is that you've managed to to do that and do that very successfully um, in, in what is it, 145 pages. And that's and that's totally miraculous. And you've done uh, a great service in many ways um, to the Jewish community by offering something that's so profound, but also so absolutely accessible. Um, and I think that that's a really great gift that you've given us. And I'm like your biggest uh, like marketing person, like, honestly, I, thank you. I'm going to like collect brokerage at some point because <laughs> like literally many, many people have bought the book because I've been pushing it and recommending it to everybody. I personally learn it with two very sweet Yidin um, and I can't get enough and I can't get enough. And so I'm just, uh, I'm, 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 I'm really, really grateful personally, yeah, personally grateful so for the, thank you. that I went into uh, making this, making this possible. So thank you for that. Thank you. So let me let me tell you, for me, the 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 piece of this chapter that really resonates uh, that I didn't necessarily articulate so much in the book itself, but the idea of it in a more practical way, is that I know that at times in my life I actually experience uh, the spirituality side of life as being a lot easier than the let's call it humanity side of life. So I've had times whether it's in a you know, going uh, and spending a few days by myself in Svat and doing, you know, pretty much nothing besides meditating, davening, listening to music, going to the mikvah, being by the kvarim, kivrei tzaddikim, learning. Like that's, that's in a sense, the easy stuff. Um, Yom Kippur is is the easiest day of the year. It's it's the sweetest and funnest day of the year. Um, we've had some Yom Kippur's together. Yes, we've had some very special, especially when you're the one leading us. Then it's mamish, the, uh, <laughs> the sweetest and funnest day of the year. But, uh, but, but, uh, you know, or, or, or at, at points when I've been deeply in a sugya and working on a sugya and I've been zochah to, to, you know, to, to, to fall into it, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm like almost like obsessed with it, you know, and, 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 and fully in it. And all of those times I have what feels like the highest level of ruchnius for myself. And yet at those times, I think in many ways, I'm actually, uh, the worst version of myself for the people who need me to be human. Uh, and I'm more irritable. I'm more antsy. I don't want, I don't have patience. I have, I've, the things I'm in my head are, 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 you know, are that, that I'm, a, that I'm 
perseverating on and involved in, I think, which are good things, thank God, you know, I'm talking about the better moments, uh, are are absorbing me so much that it's so hard to just, you know, lahavdil, as they say, and uh, I think it comes from Buddhism, you know, after enlightenment, the laundry, right? So when you're in the enlightenment, it's right. very hard to do the laundry, right? Uh, and, and that's a challenge. I'm curious if that's something that you relate to and how you navigate that. Totally. Totally. And um, before addressing this particular point, I just want to say that in the same vein of, of of speaking about the book, like I was just reading through the chapter again, I've read it a, num a number of times, but just in preparation for this conversation, like there's, there's, there's very little I could add, honestly, like you, re you really in four pages, like you, you really captured the topic in a, in a brilliant, beautiful way. And so that's, that's just a caveat. Anything I'm saying yeah. is is really just building a little bit more on the foundation that you've laid, but it's it's a really good foundation. It's it's a you know it's a really excellent excellent doorway um, into this topic. But I I think that that particular point that you bring up now is something that's absolutely prevalent, um, and it's it's definitely something that I've experienced for sure. It's definitely something that I've become more conscious of, um, and I think that fundamentally it speaks to the really essential inner point, the Nakuda Pnimis of this whole conversation, which is really defining what spirituality looks like, right? Because I think that if we have this definition of spirituality as being something complete, completely transcendent, then we might feel spiritual and be engaged in what appear to be overtly spiritual activities. And we might actually come to interpret the irritability toward other people as being part and parcel of that spirituality where we don't necessarily feel that that's a, it's a problem. It's just a feature. It's, it's, we are now better than others and it's harder for us to come down to the level of, of other people or we, you know, we're now plugged into this higher realm and we can no longer fathom you know, the, uh, the, the, the daily mundane vicissitudes of just day-to-day -day living. And I think that before addressing the tension, I think that we should probably address that faulty perception of what spirituality is in the first place, which I think could enable us then to engage in those great moments. But at the same time, it's with a completely different perspective so that it takes the edge off what can very quickly become a self-righteous and profoundly unspiritual experience. Um, and wow, so such a good point. Yeah. So define, how would you define it? Right. So when, when, when we define spirituality as the capacity to come into contact with that, which is beyond our perceptible reality, right. Or something that exists in the realm as the word connotes of spirit, right. As opposed to, I would say spirit is a contrast, maybe to corporality or physicality or the outside of things. And this perception that we have in great moments that there is more to life um, or as has been written uh, that any, any, um, anything that we see in the physical experience of reality is like a signpost, you know, like a pointed finger helping us to look beyond it. So in that sense, there's very little in the way of a distinction regarding spirituality, either as experienced as, so to speak, pure spirit or the capacity to be awake to the spirituality that is within and beyond the veneer of everything. So it isn't just on the mountain, although that might be a 
place where you can get in touch with that a little bit more intensely. But that same spirituality that you're seeking and that you feel, and I feel a great moments connected to, can at the very same time, maybe crazily, paradoxically, even more profoundly be experienced within the, uh, you know, the limitation or the appear apparent concealment um, that we encounter within the more regular uh, frameworks of of existence. So that's, you know, the, the parental relationship with children or, you know, spouses, um, being a child to parents, having a, a, a nine to five, um, having different roles within the community, different experiences, just the general experiences that are even like in between experiences. Um, just like the experience of rain when you're going from point A to point B and, you know, uh, uh, turning up your collar and bowing your head into the rain, like just human experiences that don't necessarily have to be like A-list experience, just like things that we experience. It's all a question of perception. And if our perception of spirituality is that we have to be somewhere else or do something different in order to come into contact with that other place then in fact, we can train ourselves to become profoundly unspiritual in the sense that 99.9% of the time, we're completely out of touch with the spirituality. We're going to feel as if we're always like trapped in a place where we don't want to be because we have such a incredible yearning that we're like, we got to just get out to the field, right? If in the case of like breast livers, like, got to run to a spodus. Like, no, you, you actually don't, you know, this is a great thing to do. Um, but also there's doesn't have to necessarily be this feeling of like, I can't, right? The The fact is that what you're looking for is, is already here. Mm. Um, and so when we redefine spirituality in that sense, um, I think that it takes the edge off of great peak moments because we don't lose touch with the fact that spirituality is a constant in life. Spirituality is constantly accessible. It's accessible within everything. And there are just many different ways to spirituality. And so we don't begin to look down on some of those ways because we happen to be in the moment connecting to other of those ways. You know, and I'm just thinking now, I'm reminded of what HaKadosh Baruch, what Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu when he brings the uh, the word of the people back to Hashem regarding the uh, boundary that was placed around Harsinai. And so Hashem told Moshe, listen, go and warn the people. Um, you know, this was like right before Matan Torah that they should not um, move beyond the boundary. And Moshe tells Hashem, listen, like we already warned them. We, we told them already and they, they got it. And Hashem just tells Moshe, Leich Reid, go down. Just two words, Leich Reid, descend. And so the Kedusha Slevi says that, um, he says that Moshe Rabbeinu was on such an elevated level that he couldn't even perceive the possibility of anybody being told something and then um, not following what God is telling them to do. And so all they needed from his perspective was Hashem telling them just once, don't do it. And that's that. And Moshe has already told them and he comes back up the mountain. He says, Hashem, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible, you know, that people could, um, could live out of alignment with your express will. And Hashem telling Moshe, Leich Reid, is what Hashem tells every person who's high up on a mountain and has begun to lose touch with the people that he feels he's left behind. Or Hashem is saying, part of being um, this very elevated kind of person is not to lose touch with every strata of existence because there's godliness there too. Leich Reid doesn't just mean for Moshe to descend the mountain again. It 
means to climb down from this perch of spirituality, this ivory tower, you know, this feeling of like, I'm totally, totally out of touch with where other people are to the, to the extent that I can't even fathom that other people would be going through X, Y, and Z because of where I currently am. Hashem is telling, Moshe Rabbeinu Hashem is telling all of us, you know, like this is where Hashem wants us um, across the spectrum. So, you know, I think, I think when we, when we come to address this, this topic, I think like that's, that's a fundamental issue. Um, so, so, so is it, is, am right, I accurate then, in saying, am I accurate in saying that part of what you, part of what comes out of what you're saying, but tell me if this is not true, is that we don't necessarily need to be feeling spiritual for it to be spiritual. Is that, is that part of the upshot? So like if I'm serving my kids dinner, right. And you know, it's mayhem and there's nothing about that, that feels particularly beyond uh, whatever is going on at that moment. Um, and part of why I actually wanted to have this conversation with you is because I think it's interesting to have this conversation as two people who are relatively on the younger side of things, whether or not it feels that way and have little kids and yet are, are people who by nature kind of have a more spiritual longing side. And, 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 and so I think that that, 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 that challenge is, is, is very acute. And sure. so, so in that moment, is it that is it that I'm supposed to think I'm supposed to find a way for that to feel spiritual, or it's that I'm supposed to just be completely okay with the fact that it doesn't feel spiritual, but it is, right, right. I, I mean, I th I think it's a little bit of both. Meaning, from a spiritual standpoint, I'm very into like context and content, right? So, from a contextual standpoint, once a person has put a great deal of thought into what this means, quote unquote, to be a spiritual person, what spirituality is, the fact that all of life is spiritual energies interacting and things are happening and sub things are sub happening in ways that we couldn't imagine and, and so on and so forth. Then we've already created the context where life is fundamentally lived through the lens of the spiritual. And so even the quote unquote, most mundane of things are already spiritual even without having any overt expression of spirituality. So just the basic day-to-day -day things, you're engaged in in spirituality all the time because if you weren't, you'd be dead. You know, it's so like <laughs> I said, it was night. Like someone, people always tell me because I'm like that spiritual guy and they say, oh, Rabbi, I'm not, I'm not a spiritual person. You know, if you're a talking person, <laughs> you're a spiritual person. Right. If you're not a corpse, then you're in, you're you're incredibly spiritual. Right. Yeah. Because that's the alternative. Right. So all of us are spiritual and everything that we do, therefore, is imbued with a sense of life, with spirituality. So I think just on the most basic level, like everything is is spiritual. Um, irrespective of, of, of how aware or lack of aware of, or, or how much awareness or lack of awareness we may have. Like things are being accomplished all the time. There's a mystery to life. There's a there's a mystery that hovers over um, just the the waters, like the Pasik says, So the waters of daily living um, that rise and fall, that flow. There's a spirit of 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 a mystery hovering over that already. So I think that that's just true if you approach things from a spiritual lens. Um, there's just that awareness, like. That's what life is. We know very little of what's going on, which is a very spiritual thing to be, right? To be in a state of just curiosity or wonder or radical amazement, right? That That's a super spiritual place to live. And therefore, already, no matter what you're doing, you you approach it with that sense of humility. We're like, some greater things are happening. And I don't know what they are, but 
but I know that they are. Yeah. So that's number one. But but point number two, I'd say, is that there's also spiritual content in those moments because the potential to recognize Hashem's presence, right, or to give up a little bit of our illusion of control uh, and to throw it on, onto Him, like Hashleich um, Hashem Yehavcha, to become challenged to transcend our knee-jerk lower self reactions. All of those are profoundly spiritual opportunities. And I can think of no greater opportunity to do all of those things than when you're trying to serve four kids dinner, you know, <laughs> we're still on two, but uh, serving, you know, I can just imagine yeah. right, the mayhem <laughs> and imagine if you had eight, right? Uh, so, uh, or like my Rebbe in Eretz Yisrael is 14, right? So he he just, so like, and, and everything is going haywire. And like, we have two options here. And those two options, again, are profoundly spiritual, even though the setting within which this epic spiritual battle is taking place doesn't seem to be a very spiritual battlefield. But the answer is, is that if we approach it with consciousness, we say this is an absolutely phenomenal opportunity for me to bring Hashem out of the pages of Mincha and out of the, you know, the pages of the Gemara that I was learning at the base measures this morning and to say Hashem is here too. And I am recognizing that. And I'm turning my attention to him and I'm giving up what is not in my control. And I'm taking a few deep breaths and I'm maybe even smiling and laughing at the mayhem. And I'm recognizing the Gamze Yavar, et cetera, et cetera. So the question really is a question of subjectivity as opposed to objectivity. Um, it's all about our perception. And in as much as we're investing in a spiritual perception, the world becomes a profoundly spiritual place. Um, you, you know, to use a very non-spiritual metaphor, Apple, um, I, you may know, just put out like this prototype, which they're going to be releasing to the market in, in January, I think, of this like super cool um, VR, uh, you know, AR augmented reality like headset. And it's an amazing, amazing piece of technology. I'm fascinated by the whole AI thing. And it's like, it's wild, right? But I think it's a really good muscle for so much of what we'd like to see show up in our living rooms it's not a question of actually getting like a gigantic 20 foot screen for your living room is sometimes it's just a matter of like, what are the lenses that you're looking at your living room through, you know? And I think it's wow. such a great metaphor for life. We're like, it's not so much about shaping our circumstances. It's just a question of what lens are we looking through? So if we invest in looking through, looking at life through spiritual lenses, then all of a sudden everything is spiritualized. And I wouldn't necessarily say, talking from a standpoint of spirituality, that one is better than the other or one is holier than the other. It's just a question of multifarious opportunities. Or like Chazal say, Harbe Jurachim Lamakom. You know, like it just becomes many pathways and the soul, like the body needs like a healthy food pyramid type of thing to get all the nutrients it needs. The same thing holds true for the Jewish experience. Um, and it just so happens to be that the overwhelming majority of our lives are going to be lived on the non-spiritual uh, playing field. And so it would really behoove us to invest in that uh, segment of our experience so that we can live truly holistically spiritual lives. Amazingly said. So so I, I think the, the first point you made a while back is so good, which is, that for any of this conversation, we really have to define what is spirituality. You know, what is what is our definition or working definition of spirituality? And I guess part of what that's bringing me to is thinking about how you know part of Gullus is that everything is lost in translation. And so this whole conversation is in English, 
but you actually can't capture the reality of Yiddishkeit in English because it's not it's not Lashon HaKodesh. It's not the real vehicle for expressing what Jewish ideas actually are. And so spirituality is a word that's not really our word. And so I guess the question would be like, what's the part of part of trying to arrive at a definition? I'm just wondering out loud is like, what's what's the actual word for what we're talking about in 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 Hebrew, in, in the real thing? Uh, so obviously people would think right. of like Ruchnius, right? But and and right. then you think, okay, and where where is Ruchnius in Torah or in Chazal? Where does that word show up? Like that's not, I don't know, like what what mitzvah is that? Like we're seeking spirituality, but what mitzvah is that that we're seeking spirituality? I mean, there is there is dveikus, we're seeking to be cleaving to Hashem. There is emuna. Yeah. What do you have to be attached to Hashem? Thank you. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so Come you, on, are, you really are the spokesperson. You missed that. that like, <laughs> Attached, yeah. There's, 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 there's to bedrachav, which is to be like Hashem. There's avas Hashem. There's love for Hashem. Yiras Hashem, av Hashem. I guess if you think about it through that lens, it also kind of changes the playing field a little bit because as you were talking, what was what was really resonating with me was, you know, in the kitchen again, just using that example at dinner time with a bunch of little kids. You think about the bedrachav, and you think about how much opportunity there is for that to be following the ways of Hashem, right? Of giving, of of patient, of compassionate, of trying to to find to create peace among siblings. I mean, you think about the endless, you know, uh, the allowing of tshuva, right? You think of of how many ways there are for halachta bedrachav. So I think almost maybe just from listening to you speak, what was coming up for me that I've never really thought about is that if we shift from this term of spirituality, maybe into more of a defined kind of thinking about it through the lens, almost, I guess, maybe in a sense, becoming a little bit more halachically minded, but but not, but not in a narrow way. But we think about like, okay, what mitzvah are we actually talking about? Because mitzvah right. is actually our connection. And so uh, to, to, to what it means to really be spiritual in, in, in our tradition, in our authentic way. So then you think about what mitzvah is playing out here. And then that's going to, that's going to show up in every single opportunity, like you're saying, just in different ways, but sure. every single moment of life has a different mitzvah that's showing up without exception. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I think that like, like we say, defining terms, um, is of, is of, crucial importance you know for to have any meaningful conversation really about anything right. um, and i find that you know just parenthetically so much of the confusion and debates around topics are really issues of semantics it's 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 just a question of like you know what are you actually talking about and what's your definition of what we're talking about and what's their definition and it turns out that you're talking about two completely different things and it turns out that you agree on both of those things you know right. if you would talk about those two things as those two things but um i think that what's so beautiful about Lashana Kodesh is its complexity in the sense that spirit has basically two different connotations, right? I mean, there's there's like um, a spirited person, right? Which there's something to that. I mean, you know, a spirited person, like a lively person. Yeah. So spirit connotes life. Um, and then if you think of like disembodied spirit, just like the concept of spirits, right, are basically forces with without a body, right? Which I think those two things correlate, right? It's that formless entity within the physical container that gives it life. Um, and all of that is true. And that's like the extent of the depth of English, you know, which is like, okay. But then if you think about like, okay, let's try to capture this concept in Lashana Kodesh. So 
already we have like just you just off the top of your head like you know you you we have like four terms right ruach and and um the like you said dveikus and all of these are like multifaceted diamonds right what does ruach mean uh, wait beyond the definitions of ruach um which mean uh, spirit right um air breath and so on and so forth so many different concepts we can even go down into the letters, right? We can go into gematria and so on and so forth. There are so many different layers, all of which contribute to a holistic understanding of a topic. So I think that all of this is true and we can do that for all of the words. One word that was popping into my head as like the, um, at least for me, what I see to be an encompassing terminology that can really um, relate to a lot of those things is the word das, is the word das. The word das on the surface doesn't necessarily seem to be related to the concept of spirituality. Das means to, to know. It means knowledge. Um, but at the core of the concept of knowing is the concept of intimacy. Because the first time that the word das shows up in the Torah is in the context of Adam and Chava beginning to have an intimate relationship one with the other and connecting in the deepest of ways. By Yeda Adam es Chava Ishto. The, the uh, possibility of merging as one, of bringing a child into the world. And I think one of the foundational verses which the Baal Shem Tov used really to build his entire theology, um, which you and I know is, is so absolutely relevant for our generation in a way that, you know, like it may be more relevant now than it was then, is this Pasuk really three words, Bechal Drachecha Da'ehu which means in all of your ways, come to know him, to be aware of him. But using our deeper perspective on that word means in all of your ways, be intimate with him. And when you think of the concept of ruchnius, of spirituality, we defined it before as seeking that which is beyond the veneer of the perceptible world. Well, why do we want to seek that? Like, what, what are we after in doing that? Is it a disembodied sense of like the spirit, like you read about in Buddhism, right? Lahavdil or, or other traditions, like, you know, just uh, the ground of being or the absolute, like, what is it that we're after? What's unique about Yiddishkeit is that our God is God of, of pathos, right? Our God is the God of, 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 of consciousness, where it's not this just like, you know, spiritual essence, infinity that is really not conscious in the sense that it's unconcerned about anything that it happened to have brought into being, but there's still value in escaping the limited prison, you know, of our physical limited selves so that we can connect to that realm and just like cue the ethereal music, you know, in the background <laughs> and like, that's what it is. And in Yiddishkeit, tremendously, one of the radical concepts at the bedrock of our tradition is that it just so happens that that infinite being is a conscious being, is a caring being, is a relational being. And that's something else. That's something else. And that's the premise of your book, right? And that's the premise of what it means to be attached. And so in that sense, seeking the realm beyond, so to speak, means seeking attachment or into, I would use the word intimacy with that which is beyond. And the way that we do that is by becoming aware of the beyond. And crucially, fundamentally, the Pasuk doesn't tell us climb up to a mountain and da'ehu, 
or learn for 15 hours Gemara and Da'ehu, or, you know, just daven for four days straight, Shemana Ezrei, Da'ehu, it says, Bechol Drachecha, Da'ehu, which means that if that's the goal, then there's an opportunity to achieve that goal on all of your paths. And some of the paths are going to be mount, mountain paths, uh, like a beautiful hike next to a flowing stream and beautiful trees and sunlight filtering through the foliage. That's some of your paths. And some of your paths is called changing diapers and, you know, making a living and, and getting a flat tire and, uh, and, and, and missing the bus and filling up for gas. And like, Oh, those are right. Car related things. Um, um, or, or riding the, tube right here in london right. or just doing a lot of mundane things that's and i think that that really encapsulates what jewish spirituality looks like it is just as spiritual as the other quote-unquote spiritual traditions the great spiritual traditions um but it's it's also super super um rooted in our perception of reality and that's not one that we try to escape it's one that we try to infuse with this uh, overarching and underlying um, awareness of, yeah. of Das. One of my favorite stories about this that I'm sure you know is the story about the uh, the Alter Rebbe of Chabad, the uh, the Balatanya that he was on his way to prison when he was in the boat. They were you know they, they were taking him from uh, I guess the prison was on like some sort of island, so they were taking him in the boat, and it was time for him to say Kiddush Levana. So he asked the boat driver to stop so he could say Kiddush Levana. And of course, the, the boat driver was not going to stop for this prisoner to, to, you know, to, to make a blessing. And uh, the Balatanya, with whatever capacity, uh, he, he made the boat stop miraculously in a way that was beyond nature. He used his, uh, his, his, his spiritual uh, connectivity to, uh, to stop the boat in, in whatever way. And, uh, and, and you know, at that point, the, the boat driver woke up like this is no regular, ordinary prisoner. And uh, and then the Balatanya made the boat continue and go back to normal. And then he said to the boat driver, uh, can you stop the boat so I can say Kiddush Levana? I guess mm -hmm. the halacha, right, being that, that he, he couldn't mm -hmm. say it while the boat was moving, right? So the, so, so the boat driver at that point was willing to stop the boat because, you know, he was pretty spooked out, I guess, right? Uh, and so then he stopped the boat and the Balatanya said Kiddush Levana. And the question, of course, at the Hasidim ask is, once the Balatanya stopped the boat miraculously, why couldn't he just say Kiddush Levana then? Why did he have to make the boat go again back to back to, to nature and then ask him to stop? It seems very convoluted. And the explanation they give is because mitzvos are supposed to be done specifically within a world of nature. And for the Balatanya to have miraculously stopped the boat and then performed the mitzvah would not be fulfilling his purpose in this world. That wouldn't be the way that Hashem intends for us to do mitzvahs because that's a mitzvah that's done in a, in a way that's lamalam and ateva, that's out of out of nature. And we're supposed Incredible. to be trying to, to do it within, within this world. So actually, on some level, what that would indicate to take everything we're saying a step further is that it's not only behold rachacha de'ehu that even in the things that seem mundane, we find the connection. It's that... It's 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 that specifically through the things that seem mundane is where we're supposed to be trying to find connection and and that's really fulfilling our purpose in an even deeper sense. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I think the Balatani makes this point um, openly, clearly. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. Where he spoke, where he speaks about it after talking about like Torah and Tvekas and like so like what do we have the mitzvahs for? And he says, what do you have the mitzvahs for? Because that's the whole tachlis. Like that, that's the whole purpose is what's called in the Medrash Tanchuma, a 
to create for Hashem a dira betachtonim, a dwelling place in the lower realms. And in as much as selfishly we might want to, you know, uh, to transcend because like that's where we can taste the expansivity of our souls and so on. When Judaism becomes an exercise in giving God what he needs from us, as, as opposed to all the time, just like asking what's in it for me, which is, which is certainly a higher level, you know, to be other focused. And that's part of a healthy relationship, right? If we're to talk about the connection between God and man as a relationship, um, so then we ought to really be concerned about, about his needs, as it were, which is yeah. a radical concept, you know, and one that the quote unquote rationalists will have a very hard time with because like God is perfect. He doesn't need every, anything. Right. But um, it really but goes the, back to the point the, you're making before. And the point we keep coming back to, which is that Yiddishkeit is really not about spirituality. It's really about relationship with Hashem. Absolutely. And, and, Absolutely. and that is is rooted in what you were saying before, that our God is not the God of the philosophers. It's the God of revelation. And which what that means right. is that it's, it's, it's a God who somehow mysteriously is both perfect, but is also choosing to want relationship and choosing to have wants and choosing to almost have needs in a sense, uh, choosing right. to have those needs, not that he needs yes. to have those needs, but choosing yes. to have those needs. And therefore, and therefore we are actually in, in relationship with him. And so it becomes about what, what he actually needs from us and not that we want to be more spiritual just because that feels good to be more spiritual. That's right. That is exactly right. And, and once we have that perspective, um, so then we can come to discover that what he actually needs and why he created us is to be human. That's what he needs is to be human. And I think that this is what is so powerful about the Hasidic use of a pair of terminologies that we find in the Navi Yecheskel, which refer to the angels as running Ratzovashov, you know, back and, and forth, running and returning. Um, and, and this pair of terms across the, the you know, the, the ocean of, of Hasidic literature becomes a ubiquitous uh, foundation for really seeing life as a, a synthesis between two different phases. And one does not negate the other, you know, which is a fundamental attribute of Panemius Hatora thinking, uh, which is much more holistic by nature. So it's much more likely to be, um, you know, and or 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 both as opposed to to or or either. You know, it's um it's it's just this and that as opposed to this or that, right? And so yeah, I think that that's why you see this term this these terminologies show up a lot more in the Panemius Hatora Svarim, where we look at life and we say, listen, there are going to be times of running. And that would be like the times of, like you say, like overtly spiritual things. You're spending Shabbos and Svat. And it's like totally ecstatic. And that's good. You know, we we, we shouldn't shy away from those opportunities yeah. when we have them take them. And as much as it's in a, a healthy way and it's not coming at the expense of, of any any other human beings, certainly not those that you were obligated toward and so on and so forth. And everything has to come into a cheshbin. Everything comes into a calculation. Because otherwise it could be super selfish and it could be at the expense of something else that's really important for your spirituality. But in as much as it's something that's healthy and correct, by all means. But the tachlis, the purpose of that is not to climb up the proverbial mountain and and, and pitch a tent you know, and, and live there. There is ratzo. There are moments of ecstatic connection, but then crucially, there is shov. You know, 
and which means to return, which means like lech raid, like Hashem telling Moshe, go back down, you know, uh, and 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 integrate the two and come to recognize that there's no fundamental contradiction between the two, which I think you address very beautifully um, in the chapter, in the sense that this world is its is itself the revelation of of the divine, you know. And so everything that we encounter in this world, it's not like, oh, well, can you do? You got to schlep through, you know, your your day to day and then and then whatever, because this is what God wants, even though he's so far away and we're so trapped within this, uh, you know, appearance of physicality. It's, it's what we would call in Gemara terminology, you know, like this is that um, or like they say in other traditions that are thou, you know, like that is you, that whatever it is, it's already you, you know, and, and we can come to that. A degree of consciousness, which is crucially important when we approach things from a relational perspective or through that lens of relationship, then it's it's not really about what I need. It's about what he needs. And it turns out that what he needs is for me to just just be charging it in so that we can then use it for its intended purpose. And that's how I would, um, you know, sort of phrase this experience of spirituality where we, we plug in from time to time, you know, the Shalosh Regalim, Shabbos is a weekly time for plugging in. Uh, you have a morning Seder, you, uh, you know, you have your daily Tehillim, whatever, you're charging. But don't forget why we plug phones in, you know, is is uh, is to charge them so that they can then serve their purpose. And that's, you know, like the symbiotic relationship between Ratzo and Shov, running and returning. Um, you know, another thing I think is fundamentally important to think about when we talk about this idea um, and a really beautiful way of capturing two completely different worldviews and, and perspectives on this life that many different Jews hold, you know, one or the other, but they're really different, even though we all believe in the same things, you know, but the question is like subjectively engaging in Judaism through different lenses can avail us to completely different experiences. I think your book is a good example of that, right? Um, because it doesn't really infringe on any of the 13 animamans. It's like the all it's all the same stuff we all believe. But if you approach it through this lens of attachment, everything changes. And I think thousands of people who are reading this book are are, are waking up to that. Um, but a very, a very good uh way of of um of expressing this is the way in which we refer to the world that we're inhabiting right now as the olam, you know, as the olam. Olam is the Hebrew word for world, olam, olam. And if you stop most moderately educated Jews in the street and you ask them why, you know, why would you say that this world is called olam? What's the deeper meaning there? Most of them will explain that it's from the Lashon of Helem, which means, which means hidden. But then if you ask them to explain that, what the majority will tell you is that, okay, like I get it. Okay, Olam is connected to Helam, which means hidden, but why? So why is Olam called Helam, right? What's it alluding to? And the answer that most of them will give is because this world hides God. That's And that's why this world is called Olam, because physicality is a fundamental obstacle toward the spiritual realm. And this world is is physical, and it's hateva, it's gematria elokim, it's uh, you know din, and it's and it's harsh, it's it's concealment of God, and that's what most will tell you. But the Svasemes explicitly writes that it's actually called olam for a fundamentally con contrasting uh, reason, the, the the opposite of that. This world is called olam not because it hides God, but because it is the realm within which God is hidden. 
Hmm. And that's a whole different thing. It doesn't hide God away. It enables God to come to revelation because he is in it. Not, he's not hidden away by it. He's hidden inside of it. Wow. And in as much Store as we develop God. these eyes, yeah. it's right. Exactly. It yeah. stores God. It's the one place where us living with this illusion of a separate consciousness, splintered sparks of divinity can turn ourselves around like Chava turned herself around to face Adam Rishon and can, and can discover God within everything. Like Rebbe Levi Yitzhak Bredichever used to say, I and God are playing hide and seek and I find him everywhere. I find him everywhere. You know, it's not hiding just in one place. Um, and so coming to have this conversation about what may appear to be a dialectic is fundamental definitions with regard to what spirituality is, what Judaism is all about, who this is all for. Um, and I think that once we build like really strong definitions, I think that we can re- examine this this uh you know what what would appear to be on the surface this like contradiction and you see that not only is it not a contradiction it's 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 not even two things that yeah. we then have to figure out how they like correlate it's it's just one thing it's about revealing the presence of god in the world by becoming conscious of it connecting intimately to it and trying to be a beacon of god of godly light in the world you know and if that's our focus so then there's not a contrast. There are moments of connection. There are moments of, you know, of, of mundanity. There are moments of climbing the mountain. There are moments of descending the mountain. And we live life in this oscillating, vacillating state um, where everything is a potential portal to, to divinity. This has been an amazingly helpful conversation for me. It really, really brought out a lot of uh, fine-tuning and, and new ways of looking at it. And it's the perfect way for me to uh, to now finish up and go home to serve my kids dinner. So thank you so <laughs> much. I can't, believe, I can't believe I know, that's our it. Time, our time so difference more is not the same. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. But this is the latest. Yeah, we have so much more now. to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But may thank we you. merit to climb this mountain together again. Amen. 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 Thank you, Yaakov. We'll be in touch. A gift, a total, total gift. If whoever's watching this doesn't have this yet, you're missing out. Get attached. Get attached. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please follow us on WhatsApp, YouTube, or Instagram. All our podcast series can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd love to hear from you, so please reach out with questions, comments, or suggestions or to be added to our WhatsApp groups. You can reach us through email using yakov, Y-A-K-O-V, dot attached at gmail.com, or on WhatsApp at 773-888-2413.